0: Hello Concordia family. Today is Wednesday, July 22nd. Another opportunity for us to be gathered together in God's word. And as we prepare, that I was I was reminded of this thought. It's a simple one that we belong to Jesus. Of course that we are his, purchased and won by the shedding of his blood. But also that he attaches himself to us, that he is ours because he is our savior. And he is our Lord. And so, in the midst of life's uncertainty and trouble, our God is a God of help. So, as we begin, uh, let's join together in prayer. We pray, O God of help, we do not know the crises of tomorrow or the testings of the day after that, but we commit ourselves to your keeping. In the confidence that you will uphold us. Through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Last week we got to hear from Professor Mark Brighton as he helped answer the question, Am I going to heaven? And this week we get to hear from him again as he digs into that a bit more with the question, What will heaven be like? Let's listen in now.
1: We are here to consider what heaven will be like probably have some ideas of a place where maybe we have wings, we wear white robes or something like that. We've seen paintings of heaven. Um, I would like for us to maybe examine what the Bible has on this. If you have your Bibles, open to Revelation chapter 21. Conveniently, it's the last book of the Bible, so you don't have to be hunting around in the middle somewhere to find it. Revelation gives us an extended vision. Of the latter days and how the exalted Christ exercises his authority to accomplish his purposes to recreate all things. And uh, the end of Revelation focuses on the culmination of that. The recreation, a new heavens and a new earth. And so in Revelation chapter 21, we read what, at least we begin to read what heaven will be like. It's up here too, but it's in your Bibles. And they saw a new heaven. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. We begin to understand what heaven is like. First of all, we need to understand that heaven is a new creation. God will make things new. It is not an immaterial place. It is a creation. We will, be, we will have created bodies, but they will be created new. So what will that be like? The Bible doesn't spend a whole lot of time on the geographical details of heaven. Or things like, how tall will I be? Will I have gray hair? If I ride a bicycle in heaven, if I fall down, will I break my collarbone? Or will there be bicycles in heaven? Uh, We don't have all those answers. Um, The Bible tends to focus on the characteristics of heaven rather than the geology of it. And some characteristics here stand out. Characteristics of heaven, its life in the presence of God. We will dwell in his glorious presence. There will be no more crying No more pain. It will be a place where there is no more death. Now, some of these are negatives. The absence of this, the absence of that. But obviously, life in the presence of God, that's not a negative. That's very much a positive. Dwelling in the very presence of God. A new creation and the restoration of these things, in some sense, takes us back to the beginning where we started in the Bible. Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, and then the breaking of creation in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 2, we see how Adam and Eve were created to complement each other. They were created different from each other. This was a good thing. And together they were to unite and to reflect God's image in creation, and whatever they were to do in creation, it would respond to them. But when they turned away in sin and rebelled, Everything was broken. First, their relationship with God was broken. They couldn't abide his presence anymore. Instead of love and trust, they had shame. They had fear. They hid. They wanted to get away from the presence of God. And also, in consequence of that, their relationship with each other was now filled with adversity. You see that in the pronouncement God made to Eve. Your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. The word desire there is a rare word. It only occurs three times in the Bible. The very next time it occurs is in Genesis chapter 4, and it's evil's desire to master king. And so it's not a positive word. Your relationship, which was complementary and filled with love and trust, It's now going to be filled with adversity. You're going to try to control him. He's going to try to control you. And your differences are now going to be opportunities, not for admiration, but now suspicion. Things like that. And we know how this works, right? Just the relationship with human beings. The third thing that was broken was their relationship with creation. Adam was told, you will be sowing wheat, but it's going to produce thorns and thistles. And you also will die and return to the ground. Later on, Paul would talk at this about as the curse of creation. All of creation is frustrated. It all declines. It tends toward disorder. The minute we are born, we are inclined to death. And when we see things happen around us, like earthquakes, like cancers, like diseases, like old age... It's a consequence of our broken relationship with God. All these three things were broken or frustrated. These are the things God makes new. It begins at the cross, right? What's the primary thing God wants to restore first? Relationship with God. Instead of fearing him, we call him father. Instead of wanting to get away from him, we come in trust. God wants children. And when we stand in grace and our relationship with our Father is restored, then we begin to realize a restoration of our relationships with each other. We begin to express that same grace toward each other. Begin to forgive each other, sacrifice for each other, watch each other's backs, assist each other, work together, celebrate our differences, celebrate our unique talents, talents, and work together as a unit, as the body of Christ. The third thing that we are waiting for is that restoration. Creation itself groans, Paul says, longing for the revelation of the sons of God, which happens on the last day. Then all things will be made new. And so what is heaven like? It's a restoration. Knowing God perfectly. Dwelling in harmony and peace with each other and having creation respond in kind. All these are restored in Christ's death, but there is a now and a not yet about it. The now is that we do have forgiveness. We are children of God. The now is that we begin to stand in that grace with each other. But the not yet, we're waiting for the full revelation of these events. Happens at Judgment Day. This is heaven. Revelation goes on to describe that not yet. Looks like Jerusalem dressed as a bride. Uh, We got to take this as a metaphor, people. (laughs) Uh, There was a time when many of our brothers and sisters in the faith tried to wrestle with this and interpret it as literally as possible. Uh, Perhaps there was a satellite city, Jerusalem, which would float down to earth. Uh, But most scholars nowadays see here that these are metaphors to describe the reality of heaven, not in a very literalistic way, but rather the reality in a different way. Jerusalem is like a bride. This is a strong metaphor for the restoration of of the relationship God has with his people, filled with love, trust, harmony, and peace. This New Jerusalem is a perfectly cubed city. It's 12,000 stadia, length, width, and breadth. That's like a big Borg cube, I guess, if you go back in the day, right? Star Trek? Well, anyway, never mind. That's I'm dating myself, I suppose. A cubed city? Uh, the holy of holies in the Old Testament, the tabernacle of the temple, was a perfect cube. Ten by ten by ten. But now it's 12,000. Well, 12 is a number for the people of God, and 1,000 a number for completeness. All God's people dwell in the most holy place. This, this is reinforced in later uh, verses in Revelation. There is no temple there, because you don't have to go to a place to get into God's presence. God's presence fills the entire new creation. There are 12 gates made of a single pearl each, Well, 12, the people of God, enter. Pearl? That one's a little more difficult. I like to trace it to a parable Jesus told. The kingdom of God is like a guy who found a pearl of great price. When he found it, he sold everything he had to get there. These gates, those who sold everything, they enter in for the priceless treasure of heaven. There is no temple there. There is no night there. The tree of life is there. This is how Revelation pictures for us the reality of heaven. It's not the first time in the Bible where we see it pictured. You can go in the Old Testament in many places and you see heaven pictured. It's like a lion and a lamb laying down together. like a child playing at a cobra's den. They will no longer hurt nor harm on my holy mountain. It's like the uh, uh, reaper overt- overtaking the plowman. That's how productive it's going to be. It's like hills dripping with new wine. It's, it will be in abundance. There will be peace. There will be joy. But one of the places where I see a lot of these coming together is in Isaiah 25. I'd like for you to turn there. Marriage is a strong metaphor for heaven and the relationship that is restored between God and his people. Another strong metaphor is a banqueting metaphor. You see in Isaiah 25. What will heaven be like? There are many things that we can think of and we say, wow, heaven must be like that. It must be like a beautiful sunset. It must be like... The adventure of climbing a wall, those guys that climbed uh, El Capitan, uh, the Dawn Wall, I mean, some of their quotations, they were saying, this is just so exhilarating. Maybe there's a little taste there, maybe, maybe. Uh, It must be like uh, just a beautiful flower, it must be like this, and I don't argue with any of that because I truly think that God's glory is around us. And when we see that glory and give thanks to God for it, I think there's a reminder of a little bit of what heaven's going to be like. Only heaven will be the full unflowering of these things. Banqueting, though, however, really works for me. On this mountain that is in God's kingdom, Yahweh of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering, the shroud, the burial shroud that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from every face And the reproach, the shame, that thing that filled them with shame and and humiliation, all the reproach of his people, he will take away from all the earth. For Yahweh has spoken. And it will be said on that day, and here the image concludes with a toast. Everyone at the banqueting table raises their glass. Look, this is our God. We waited for him that he might save us. This is Yahweh. We waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. This one speaks to me because this is kind of my life in recent years. Um, 27 years ago, uh, God started blessing my wife and I with kids. We had two. And then two years ago, these two got married all in one summer now we have four. <laughs> yeah, it all happened in the summer. I just smiled and wrote checks all summer, yeah. What, <laughs> right? you want swans, what? Yeah, you know, and uh, it was like a small car loan. <laughs> it was fun. It was great. And, and now we have six. And when we gather around our table like we did last Christmas or like we did Super Bowl or whatever it is, we all get in the kitchen and my daughter and, and her husband, he's a great salad maker. They'll make the salad, and, and my son and his wife, they'll make all the appetizers, and we'll set the table, and we'll get out our special dishes, and we'll get wine glasses out, and we'll, we'll have fun together. And it's not really about the food. It's about our family. It's about the fact that we belong together, that we got each other's backs, that we can laugh together. We can, they know me, and they still love me. <laughs> I know them, and I still love them. We'll play a game afterwards, maybe Dominion, maybe 10,000, that's a dice game, we all yell. And we'll, we'll, have, we'll have fun together. Why is this such a powerful image for me? Because it's a tiny taste, I think, of what God has in, in store for me. It's a restoration our humanity the restoration of life together in the presence of god it's celebrating his goodness it's raising our glasses and thanking god for his faithfulness um there is a therefore a very much a now to eternal life that i experience in my life uh, there is a restoration of god's peace in my family, and it's done by God's grace. What does it look like for you? What Jesus comes, comes to bring you his blessings now to assure you that you are a part of his family, to lead you to share that same grace with yeah, your roommates and your family and your friends, and to assure you that he has. God to prepare a place for us. There is a very much a now to that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. When I go and celebrate the Lord's Supper, it's a, I, I recognize it's a promise. It's a promise. Yes, a forgiveness for sins, but it's also a promise for a heavenly banquet. And I look forward to that. So what will heaven be like? Will I be this tall? Will I have gray hair? I don't know all those things. But I know my family will be there. I know I'll dwell in the presence of Christ there. I know it'll be a place of restoration and beauty, not of frustration, but of great beauty. And so that's what we have to look forward to. That's sort of what I see. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus Christ, we thank you for the promise in your resurrection that we also will have resurrected life with you. We have many questions about that day, but we can rest assured that you have gone to prepare a place for us, and that after we die and we put off this flesh, you will recreate us on the last day we will dwell with you in perfect harmony and peace with all your family, all our loved ones, forever. We look forward to that day, Lord, and we so we pray as John does in the end of Revelation. Come quickly, Lord. Come quickly to restore us. Pray in your name, amen.
0: Well, that will do it for today. I hope uh, that was a blessing to you. Uh, next week, we will conclude our Summer Chapel series uh, with the question Who are you, God? Um, listening in to Professor Joel Esch. So I hope you'll come back for that as we conclude our Summer Chapel series. With that, receive the Lord's benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and grant you his peace. Amen.